0: I don't know about you, but for me, and I think it's within every person, there is this, um, as you look at the news and as you look at the world that we're living in and how it's changing so quickly, uh, and, and it's not changing for the better, right? It seems to be changing for the worse. And it seems to me um, like there is, there is something very wrong in the world. Uh, there's something very broken in our world today. And maybe it's in your life. And maybe you're in a season of. Of anxiety or depression. Or suicide or something like that. Or, or maybe you wonder things like. Why, why did I have to go through a divorce? Or why did my parents have to experience a divorce? But we, we have this realization. That something is broken in our world. Why are men who are in in places of authority and men who have power and influence, why are they exploiting women? Why are there more mass shootings now than than ever before? They seem to be happening more rapidly and, and more devastatingly. Why is this happening? There seems to be something wrong in our world. And it just not seems to be there is something wrong. Something is broken. But it hasn't always been this way. We know that when God created everything in planet Earth, the Bible says that he created it, what good and very good. So it began very good at the beginning. He made it all and he gave us the purpose when he created Adam and Eve. He gave them the the uh, the the stewardship or the responsibility to take care of God's good creation and to create even more good things in his creation. Right. And he gave them a responsibility to take his kingdom that he that he established on the earth and to multiply his kingdom throughout the earth. That's how it started. It was good and it was very good, but something went very wrong. And we decided that we wanted to rule and we wanted to reign and we wanted to be the king, right? And so as we know it, the story is told in the book of Genesis that we rebelled against God. We have we rebelled against God and we said, you know what? We're, we're not interested in bowing down and serving you. We want to serve ourselves. And as a result, we became separated from God. And we became separated from his purpose of advancing his kingdom in the earth. Now, this is very, very bad news. It's bad news. And since that bad news happened in the Garden of Eden, how many of you know that all of mankind and all of creation has been groaning, longing for some good news? We need some good news. We need news that somebody's going to come and rescue us from this mess that we're living in. We need news that somebody's going to come and make things good and very good again, the way God intended it. Today we begin a series called The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. We are actually going to do a series in the book of Luke, and we're calling it The Good News. According to Luke, because the gospel is exactly that. It is both good and it is news. Okay. so what is think for a moment here? What is news? What is news? Just what is that? If I were to come to you and say, hey, I've got some big news, right? I would be coming and I would be saying, hey, something's just happened. And because of that something, everything has changed. And this happened to us in 1997, to my wife and I. She came out of the bathroom one day, and you know what she said? Come on. I'm pregnant, right? All right, I'm pregnant. And something happened, and because of that something, everything has changed. Our first child, right? We're first, our first pregnancy. We're about to experience some incredible change in our lives, right? The way you spend your time is going to change. The way you spend your resources are going to change. Life's no longer about you and independent you. Now you have this person who's completely dependent on you. It changes everything. Oh, now we've got to get into a house and all of this happens. we got to get the car seat and we got to have a room ready. And all all of life changes because of this news. A few months into the pregnancy, we got some other news. And the doctor said... Um, it appears from the, the sonograms that um, your unborn child has a chromosomal defect called trisomy 18. And this chromosomal defect is going to cause your child to be handicapped in many ways. And experience m- many physical abnormalities and probably have a short lifespan. And we said, well, what are our options? And he said, well, we can do an amniocentesis, where we we uh, we send in this big needle and we we into your into carry and, and find out, you know, if in fact this is true. Right. A very risky procedure for the mother. And, all, and it doesn't change the diagnosis. It, it just confirms it or it denies it. And we said, no, we don't feel like we should do that because, well, you could have an abortion. And we said, well, that's not an option for us because we believe that life is is from God and it's sacred and it's and it's and it begins at conception. And so uh, abortion was was not an option. And we said, you know what? We're going to go through with this birth and we're just going to trust God. We're going to put this child in the hands of an all loving, all knowing, all powerful God. And we're going to leave the results up to him. And nine months later, Levi was born. Yeah, and last time I checked, he's pretty normal. <laughs> he was born with this, uh, this, this uh, lightly colored birthmark on the back of his head, and uh, it was the exact location where the sonograms had shown that there was an abnormality going on, and so I just believe that God put his hand right there, and he healed it, and he left a little mark just to remind us all that, that God has his fingerprints all over the place, right, <laughs> And. And so the day he was born, it it changed. It was news, right? Something has happened here and it, it has changed everything. Some of you remember, maybe you were alive on September 11th, 2001. Airplanes full of people were were flying into buildings. Something happened that day that has changed everything. It's changed the way we live. It's changed the way we travel. It's changed immigration, homeland security. It's changed the way we look at people. 9-11 has changed everything. Have you ever heard of the scripture in the Old Testament? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? Have you ever wondered, what does that mean? How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news? It's found in the book of Isaiah. And God's people, the Jewish people, um, needed to hear some good news. And the reason is, is because their city, Jerusalem, had had just been destroyed and they had been taken out of Jerusalem, most of them, and exiled to Babylon. They were in desperate need of some good news. And as Dr. Eric Smith said last week, that they were they had two big questions in their mind. Has God abandoned us and is God powerful enough to deliver us? I want you to watch this video right now. And as you do, you're going to you're going to we're going to pick up the story from there. And it's going to take us right into the good news, according to Luke.
1: There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah.
2: The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city and they're left. Wondering what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem
1: was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone.
2: Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls, and far out on the hills we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, Good news! And Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message.
1: What's the message?
2: that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the
1: watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns.
2: Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So
1: when Christians say, do you believe the gospel? They mean, do you believe the news?
2: But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus's teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom.
1: So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns.
2: Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom, it needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom.
1: Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him.
2: Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer. And he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king.
1: And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins.
2: And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them.
1: Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king.
2: That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews.
1: Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe.
2: He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love
1: and then jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom
2: and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him the king who defeated death with his love
0: So as you've just seen, the, the good news of Jesus coming is, is much bigger than Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So you could go to heaven when you die. The good news is bigger than that. The good news is that the, a king has come, right? There's a new sheriff in town and the rules have changed and he's establishing his kingdom in the earth. And this kingdom, this rule, and this reign of God in the earth is totally different than any other kingdom, uh, democracy, communism, socialism. It's totally different. Did I say democracy? Totally different. It's a kingdom upside down. So it's not just, oh, we can go to heaven when we die. No, there's some heaven God wants to bring to earth. And when Jesus came in his first and in his second coming, which is to come, he's bringing heaven down to earth. And this message of this good news of the kingdom, Jesus preached, and it literally changed the world until the world changed the message. The message of Jesus was not about how to escape this world. It was about how God was invading it. And how he was changing it radically and forever. But this good news of the gospel of God's kingdom, it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by the enemy. And there's three gospels that are being told. Let me think about this for a minute. Three gospels being told. Frank Viola says this. There's the gospel of libertinism. The gospel of libertinism says this, you are welcome into God's kingdom and you don't have to change. The gospel of legalism says you are not welcome in God's kingdom unless you change. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. God says you are welcome in my kingdom. And as a result, you will change three different gospels, right? Which gospel have you heard? Which gospel are you telling Right. You don't have to change. You can't come in unless you change or if you receive this gospel, you will change. Change is what this good news is all about. It's when we understand it here, it's when we experience it in our lives and when we pass it on to others, it changes everything. Bruxy Cavey in the book Reunion, he writes, the gospel isn't primarily about getting us to heaven, but about getting heaven into us. Jesus taught his disciples to pray for heaven to come here. Right? Not for us to go there. So many people, I'm I'm so looking forward to heaven when I die. I'm looking forward to heaven when I live. A man in one of our small groups, he recently asked a very honest question. And he said, is this all there is to it? Is this all there is to the gospel? Pray this prayer, go to church, pay your tithe, go home, argue with your wife, and go to heaven when you die. Is this all there is to it? What an honest question. What an honest cry. Some of you have that same cry this morning. You're like, you know what? Life isn't really that different. I made a decision. I raised my hand. I prayed a prayer. I come to church. I give my money. I go home. Things aren't different. Is that the gospel? What is that? It's something different, but it is not the gospel. That's why I'm so excited about this new series that we're beginning in the good news according to Luke. Because we are going to understand through this study what the gospel really is, what transformation really looks like, how we can receive it and how we can pass it on to others. How many of you believe that's a good idea? Amen. (laughs) Scott McKnight in his book called King Jesus Gospel, he said this, he said, if the gospel isn't about transformation, it is not the gospel of the Bible. So with that, I would say to you this morning, if you are not experiencing transformation here and now on earth as it is in heaven, then you are not experiencing the good news that Jesus proclaimed. So which story have you been told? Which one are you believing? Maybe you're here today and you're here and, and the gospel you've been told is, hey, come into God's kingdom and you don't have to change. Do whatever the hell you want. Quite honestly. Live however you want. Grace is sufficient. Do whatever you want. Look, when a new king comes into town, you don't get to do whatever you want. Right? When you submit yourself to a new king and a new kingdom, you do what the king wants. So that can't be the gospel, right? Or maybe the gospel you've heard is this. Listen, you can't come into God's kingdom until you clean up your act. Until you change, you can't have the kingdom. How many of you know that's a lie from the enemy? The gospel of Jesus Christ is this Jesus welcomes everyone. He's good news for all people. And he says, if you come into my kingdom, if you allow me to be the king to rule and reign in every area of your life, you will change. And we're going to begin with a brand new heart. (laughs) Woo! Some of you need to begin there today. (laughs) You've tried the other gospels. (laughs) They're not working for you. And they're not working because they're not the gospel. They're not the good news. The good news is this. You receive this king and his kingdom, his reign and rule by faith. You receive it by faith. I believe you're the king. I confess you're the king. And you will be saved, the Bible says. And that's the beginning of a life of transformation. It's the beginning of the good news that God has for you. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. If that's you today and you need that gospel, that good news for the first time, you're ready to accept Christ Jesus as your king, as the Lord, as the one ruler of this world. Would you raise your hand right now? I want to pray with you. Anybody at all on the main floor? Hands are going up. Who needs to receive this good news today? You're placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You're saying he's the king. I'm not. I receive him as my Lord, as my savior. Anybody else? Hands up quick. Praise God, you can put your hands down. The Bible really doesn't. Now you can all look up here at me. The Bible really doesn't give us a, a sinner's prayer where if you pray this prayer, you will be saved. No, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right where you're at, if you raised your hand, I want you to say, I want you to say, I want everybody to say this. If Jesus is Lord, I want you to say right now, Jesus is Lord. Ready? Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. Say this. He rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. Jesus, is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I receive him I receive as, my Lord and as my Lord and Savior. Now. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom. Things are about to get crazy. Crazy good. Okay. The gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus. If you're going to sum up the word gospel, it would be Jesus. Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. Paul said this. He said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. About who? About Christ. Why? It is the power of God at work. Saving everyone who believes. It's about Jesus. Ruxy Cavy in his book Reunion, he said, until we talk about Jesus, we are not talking about the gospel. This means that if you want to learn more about the gospel, you need to learn more about Jesus. And if you want to become a student of the gospel, you need to become a student of Jesus. And if you want to read a book about the gospel, you have to read a book about Jesus. Ha! That's why we're studying Luke. (laughs) It's a book about Jesus. The good news, according to Luke, is summed up in one verse. If you want to catch the big message of what Luke is trying to convey, it's found in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. Luke nineteen ten says this, the son of man, meaning Jesus, he said the son of man, because Luke's wanting us to understand that he that God became a man. The son of man came into the world to do what to seek and to save that which was lost. And I emphasize that because a lot of times we think he came to seek and save those who were lost. But the scripture says that which was lost because at the fall of man, at the fall in the Garden of Eden, not only were Adam and Eve lost, but all of creation was lost. There was a time when there were no earthquakes and there were no mudslides and hurricanes and tornadoes. Did you know there used to be a time we didn't have those natural disasters? There used to be a time when the lion would lay down with the lamb and they were friends with one another. They didn't eat each other. There was a time when there wasn't cancer and heart disease and diabetes. There was a time when none of that existed. But when Jesus came, he came to seek and save all that was lost to redeem all of creation. And until that time, the earth is groaning, longing for its redemption. Mankind is longing for good news. Jesus came and he brought it. Why are we doing a series in Luke? Well, first of all, the spirit led me to do a series in Luke back this summer when I was in a study. I was at I was just doing my own personal study retreat and I just was drawn to Luke and I felt like the spirit leading me there. The second reason is Luke tells us this gospel story, this good news that I think has been hijacked. We need to understand it, experience it and pass it on. And the third reason is, is the good news, when we understand it, will change everything. If we're going to steward this gospel called Luke, we have to explore it in its entirety. Okay, Uh, the gospel includes the entire ministry of Jesus, uh, including all of his teachings. Some of you are going, are we really doing a sermon series in Luke? Um, That's what it says up there, so I think we better do it. We really are doing a sermon series in Luke. Well, isn't Luke the longest book in the New Testament? Yes, it's the longest book in the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? I just love this. Listen, this is a big, bold, long series, right? In fact, um, it's about a 17-month series the way we have it broken down. I didn't say seven-week. I didn't say seven-month. I said 17-month series. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, oh, man. (laughs) And that's the fast track. Most pastors take about two years, maybe even three years to get through through Luke. So I'm going to be preaching our preaching team's going to be preaching. Right. Some of the messages we might even preach on a Wednesday night. So come to our Wednesday night prayer service. Our small groups are going to dive into Luke with us. It's going to be amazing. And throughout the course of this series, we are going to invite guest speakers to come in. Uh, how many of you know we need to hear from the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, right? Pastors and teachers are not the only ones that can equip you. And so we want to bring other guest speakers in. We're going to take breaks here and there throughout the series. But can I tell you this? Can I tell you, if you get tired of this series, if you're saying, man, this series is way too long, if you get tired of hearing the good news? News. If you get tired of hearing about Jesus, then you can go somewhere else and get some bad news. You can go to CNN or Fox News. You can go to the Book of Mormon or the Quran and get all the bad news you want. Go for it. But listen, if you're here and you want some good news that changes everything, you're in the right place for the next couple of years. <laughs> Honestly. If you get tired of the good news, either we're not telling it or you're not receiving it. Because it really is good news. Uh, and it's probably better than, than we really think and understand. So you're going to love Luke if you're young. Because Luke is the one gospel that, that talks about Jesus when he was a young boy. You're going to love Luke if you are a woman. Because uh, Luke, he frequently speaks about women in very gracious ways. He talks about how Jesus was was uh, like, had relationships with women, like, like, like a brother-sister kind of relationship. He elevates women to the status they should be elevated to, and not the status that that culture brought them down to. And you're going to get to know some amazing women as we study Luke. Uh, there's a couple who are infamous, uh, legendary, uh, Mary and Martha, ever heard of them? Uh, so we're going to be looking at them as we go through this series. If you're short, you're going to love this series not because the book is short, but there's a man named Zacchaeus that we find in Luke. And, and he's the guy, the short guy who climbed the tree. So if you're short and you love trees, you're going to love Luke. It's going to be awesome. Uh, if you're poor, if you're poor, if you're like lacking things, if you're poor, if you're broken, if you feel like an outcast, you're going to love Luke because Jesus loves the poor. If you love parables, you're going to love Luke because two thirds of all the parables in the Gospels are found in Luke. If you love miracles in the supernatural, it's all over Luke. And there are four miracles that take place in Luke that are not in the other Gospels. And I would say this, if you love the Holy Spirit, anybody here this morning, if you love the Holy Spirit, you're going to love Luke because Luke loved the Holy Spirit. In fact, Luke has been called this the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Thirteen times in just the four, the first four chapters of Luke, the Holy Spirit is emphasized. Thirteen times, first four chapters. Luke's all about the Holy Spirit. Talks about how Jesus was filled with the Spirit and empowered for ministry by the Holy Spirit. Jump into the book of Acts. Again, Luke is emphasizing the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to love Luke. And and here's why. Luke is the one gospel out of all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the gospel that is literally good news for all people. He communicates how the gospel is for all people. So I'm very excited about it. So let's dive into it. Can we do that? Can we dive into the introduction today? Are you already tired of Luke? No. Okay, good. We're going to dive into it. Luke chapter 1, verse number 1. Here's what Luke writes. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first, excuse me, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Wow, that was one long sentence. <laughs> so what do what we hear in these first four verses? Um, we need to examine for a moment who's the author of this book, right? Who's the recipient? Right? Why was it written? Okay, all of that's we're going to unpack here for in the next couple of minutes. The author is believed to be Luke because if you open your Bible, it says Luke, <laughs> Gospel of Luke. So it must be Luke, right? But you won't find anywhere in the Gospel of Luke Luke saying I wrote the book. It's not in there. If you read the other parts of the New Testament, you'll read where Paul says, "Hey." I wrote the book. Uh, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I, Paul, wrote this book, right? But we don't see Luke saying, I wrote this book. It's not there. So how do we know that Luke wrote the book of Luke? We know it because we know who wrote the book of Acts. And whoever wrote Acts, we know wrote Luke. Because Luke and Acts are written in the same um, highly educated Greek form. Now, I'm not a linguist, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've read all the scholars about this. And they say these two books are, are like they're in a whole different world of Greek. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Whoever wrote Acts, we know wrote Luke. They wrote them like a sequel, like a sequel and a prequel and a sequel to a movie, like a two-volume set. One finishes, the other one picks up. It's really obvious that whoever wrote Acts wrote Luke. And we know who wrote Acts because he identifies himself in Acts. He identifies himself in Paul's missionary journeys uh, as Luke and as he's traveling with and he's writing these things. So, there you have it. So, Luke wrote it. What do we know about Luke? Well, we don't know a lot about him because he doesn't like to talk about himself. Some of you, that's your biggest takeaway from this message today. I want to be like Luke. What's your name? I don't know. I don't. We don't know much, but we know this. He loved to talk about Jesus and he loved to talk about the church. We know in Luke that uh, or Luke is referred by name in the New Testament, only three times um, by name, in Colossians, Philemon, and 2 Timothy. And through those scriptures, we know this. We know that he was a physician, a medical doctor. Thank God for medical doctors. We have some of the best uh, right here at Glad Tidings and medical staff. We praise God for you. He was a physician. We also know that he was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, was a, he was right there with him. And we also know that when everybody else deserted Paul, including Demas, who left Paul because he loved <laughs> this world, Luke stuck with him. He was a faithful servant. Luke's an amazing guy. Uh, we know that he wrote this book of Luke about 30 years after Jesus died, um, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. Um, and so, in about the year 80, 62, 63, Luke wrote this book, and it was at that time where um, there were still eyewitnesses alive that actually witnessed Jesus. Uh, that walked with Jesus, that talked with Jesus. But Luke was not one of those guys. He was not one of the 12 apostles. He was not an eyewitness account of Jesus. Um, He was a physician. He wasn't like Matthew, Mark, or John. He was a physician, didn't know Jesus like those disciples did. And so for him to be able to write this book about Jesus, he had to do some investigating. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad my physician um, is a smart guy. I'm glad he went to school, got an education like the like Dr. Luke. I'm glad he knows how to investigate things and find out if they're really true. This guy Luke, a doctor, he goes in this investigative journey, right? He becomes like a crime scene investigator, like an Indiana Jones. He's, he's trying to figure out what really happened, right? He wants the facts. He's verifying the, the different miracles, the people who are healed. How many of you'd like to be verified by a doctor whether or not you've been healed? So God, so all of these miracles that take place are verified by Dr. Luke. Amazing. I'm getting excited about the author. Is that okay? All right. Where am I? Lord, I lost myself. Audience. Let's talk about the audience. Um, We talked about the book, the author. Now we're talking about the audience. He wrote it to one man with this funny name, this funny name. His name was Theophilus. Man, I'm going to name our next kid Theophilus. Carrie, (laughs) she's like Theophilus. What in the world is that? Um, his title is Most Excellent Theophilus. What does that mean? Well, Paul, or not Paul, but Luke had used this, this title, Most Excellent Theophilus, before. If you read in Acts chapter 23, 24, 25, he talks about Felix and Festus, and he calls them Most Excellent. And those two guys, they were governors of, uh, Judea. So they were these Roman officials, right? High ranking Roman officials. And they were called most excellent uh, Festus, most excellent Felix. And now he's saying most excellent Theophilus, which probably means that Theophilus was this this high ranking official in Roman government. He was a smart dude, probably wealthy, had a lot of influence. Right. And so he's writing to this one guy. His name Theophilus means either God lover or loved of God. What a great name. Now you're going to name your kid Theophilus. See, uh, love his name. His background, we know that Theophilus was like Luke in that he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew, didn't grow up in synagogue, didn't grow up with Torah, scripture, didn't have any of that, didn't, wasn't part of a small group, nothing like that, right? He was an outsider. He was not Jewish, right? And so this whole Christianity thing, the whole Old Testament, all brand new to him. He didn't know about those things. He had been taught the basics we learned here in the first four verses, the basics of Christianity. Uh, He may have been a seeker of truth. He may have been a recent convert to Christianity, but we know this. He needed somebody to take him by the hand and lead him to the good news. And Luke volunteered. And the reason Luke wrote to Theophilus is found in verse number three, halfway through number three, Luke says this, I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know. I want you to circle that word. know, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Theophilus had been taught some things, but he wasn't certain about the things he had been taught. I remember when I was growing up, I. I. The church I grew up into, we had this catechism class and I was forced to go to catechism, which is a good thing to force kids to do. How many of you know, parents, you can force your kids to do things they don't want to do. And I had known some things, I had learned some things, but I was not certain about some things. I needed somebody to come alongside and help me become certain about the things I was being taught. So that I might know, so that Theophilus might know. And that word know there is full and complete knowledge. Full and complete knowledge through experience. See, you can read the Bible and not know God. You can know about Christianity and not go God. You can know the good news and not know the good news. And so Luke says, you know what? Theophilus, I'm going to unpack this thing for you because I want you to know with certainty the things that you've been taught. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to collect information and I'm going to give it to you, Theophilus. Uh, Since I wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to those who were eyewitnesses. And he says that he gathered his information about Jesus from three different sources. We read it in the text. Um, From things fulfilled, things handed down, and things I have investigated. Things fulfilled, referring to Old Testament prophecy. Things handed down, referring to oral tradition. And then things I have investigated, referring to eyewitness testimony. I'm glad a doctor wrote Luke. Can I just say that? Because if I had done it, we would have missed out on some really good stuff. So, why is he investigating? Uh, Theophilus has some questions. He's like, Did did a virgin really give birth? Come on, how many of you think that's a little strange? When my kids asked me, You know, how how does this, how are babies born? I just said, Well, you know, a virgin gave birth. I just skipped over the whole. I just (laughs) skipped over that part, you know. I'm teasing, you know. But we gotta fact check that, because that's an unusual miracle for a virgin to give birth. Did Jesus walk on water? Did he really walk on water? I don't know, but I'm gonna go find Peter and find out. Did he take a little boy's lunchable and multiply it and feed a stadium full of people? You know? Uh, did Jesus really yell at nature and, and it obeyed him? You know? Did he cast demons out of people? Did he really die and come back from the dead? You know what? That's a great question. I'm going to go interview the hundreds of people that actually that he appeared to after his resurrection. And Theophilus, I'm going to find out for you. I'll get back with you on that one. Theophilus was uncertain about the gospel. He had some questions. He needed a Luke to take him by the hand and help make plain the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we close, I want to ask this question. It's a very simple question. And it is this. Who is your Theophilus? Who is your Theophilus? I think it's quite stunning how the longest book in the New Testament was written to one person. Luke probably invested two to three years of his life in reaching just one man. He was writing the the good news of Jesus, and he wrote it out on a scroll, and and the scroll was over 25 feet long, wrote it out on a scroll, and he addressed this 25-foot scroll to a man called, oh, most excellent Theophilus, invested two to three years of his life in one person. What's amazing about that is, is, is when we got to, when we get to Acts, which By God's grace, we'll get to Acts one day. As you read the beginning of Acts, he's no longer addressed as most excellent Theophilus. He's simply addressed as Theophilus. Could it be that between Luke and Acts, this man, most excellent Theophilus, became a brother in Christ to Luke? And Luke dropped the title, Pastor Walt and just said, "You know what? Yeah, you're my pastor, but you're now my brother. Can we just call each other Walt? Can I can can I call you Walt?" So at that point Theophilus had become a brother in Christ. We have relied much too much too heavily on programs and events to disciple people. Jesus made it clear that discipleship happens one on one. Life on life. I'm thinking, you know, when Luke gets to heaven, perhaps when he gets to heaven, Jesus will say to Luke, Luke, remember Theophilus? Luke, remember the 25 foot scroll that you wrote? Remember the, the two to three years you invested in one man? Do you remember that, Luke? And Luke's like, oh, yeah, that was tiring. Whoo. That was a long time. Luke. I got to tell you something. The scroll, the 25 foot scroll, it didn't stay with Theophilus. Theophilus passed it on to another one who passed it on to another one who passed it on to yet another one. Luke, I got to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ that you wrote on that 25 foot scroll that took you three years to write. That good news has been spread down through all the ages and it has reached every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Luke, well done, good and faithful servant. And I can just imagine in my mind's eye Luke turning and seeing in heaven billions of people from every tongue, tribe and nation bowing down to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, all because he went after one. He went after one man named Theophilus. Listen, if you want to change the world, Write a book to one person. You want to change the world? Find that one person who is uncertain about the gospel. And invest your life in that individual. I bet you there were times when Luke was thinking, Man, this is getting long. This is taking much longer. This is taking more effort than I had imagined. Some of you are in that place today and you're already doing this. You're investing your life in somebody, right? And you're wondering, man, is this ever going to pay off? Is anything going to come of this? I don't want you to get discouraged, man. Listen, listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. So back to that question, and we're going to close. Who is your Theophilus? Who is that person? Um, Could be a couple people in your life that God is saying, I want you to go and I want you to help them understand this good news. I want you to take them by the hand and help them with that uncertainty. I want them to walk away certain. I want them to become a brother, a sister in Christ. I want you to stand with me this morning or we're going to pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for this series. God, we pray that... uh, this good news would would be understood would be experienced and would be passed on God help us to identify that theophilus that you're calling us to God whether it's somebody in our family or in our small group maybe our workplace somebody in our lives God show us who our theophilus is God so we can pass it on to one who passes it on to one to one to one God we bless you in Jesus name We're going to close with the doxology that we sung earlier. And following that, Chris is going to dismiss us. And we're going to invite our prayer teams to come. If you'd like prayer this morning, please join us. For-